glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God nothing should be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, what she call herself, the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her, and Mary arose in those days, verse 39, and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Look down to verse 48. As she is rejoicing, and we'll look at some of these verses here in a little bit, and what God has done with her. She says, for my, uh, verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden for behold from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed can you imagine her calling herself the queen of heaven can anybody imagine this woman calling herself the queen of heaven or the mother of god no way can you imagine her letting someone else call her that now i'm trying to put myself in mary's shoes hard for me to do i'm not a woman i've never had a child never going to so there's some things i cannot relate to here but I'm trying to imagine if I were Mary and an angel, the angel Gabriel, we have record of two, uh, just a couple of appearances in the New Testament of Gabriel. It's here with Mary and uh, with Zacharias. It's Gabriel. It's uh, uh, Joseph had a dream of uh, being spoken to and some would think that was Gabriel. But we know for sure that Zacharias and Mary appears. The last time we heard from Gabriel, he's talking to a fellow named Daniel. Now, I don't know about you, but to be in the same classification of servants as Daniel the prophet, if I knew that it was Gabriel talking to me, the first thing I would think is, I must be pretty special. I mean, honestly, if Gabriel showed up, the angel Gabriel showed up tonight and had a conversation with you, what would you think? I would think, I'm a greater saint than I thought. Wow, I can't believe this. And all of a sudden, I'm afraid it would go to my head in a hurry. Not her. Not her, which tells us why God could use her. She was a handmaiden. You know what she says? I am God's servant. And if he wants to do this with me, that what a privilege to be used by God. Now, I believe the people that God uses the greatest are surprised that he would. I think the people that God uses the most can't believe that God would do it. If I think that somehow I can prime myself for God to use me in a greater fashion than somebody else, chances are it's not going to happen. 
Because if that's my mentality, how, what can I do? What can I do? How can I impress God to get Him to use me more than He uses other people? Don't misunderstand me. I think we ought to want to be used to the fullest. But I hope you're tracking with me tonight. Sometimes that prideful mentality that drives sports gets into God's work and it drives us. It's a spirit of competition that says, I want to be better than the other guy, and what can I do to get God's special favor on me so that he does great things with me, so that people will know that I am a better... I may not be good at football, and I may not be good at race car driving, I may not be good at uh, running a business, but hey, if I could be real good at being a Christian, maybe I can get God to use me greater than others, and people would know who I am. Never happened. It'll never happen. And I preach on this because I know what God's had to deal with my heart about in my Christian life. I know what He has to speak to me about and call me in to check on that I might try to use the service of God as a platform to be elevated above other people. What I want to see about Mary tonight, I don't see that Mary ever got impressed with herself. I don't see that she ever tried to do anything to get herself in front of all the other ladies so that God would pick her instead of them. You know what Mary did? She just did what she knew was right. She just served God before she knew she was going to have Christ, after she knew she was going to have Christ. So I'll give you a few points that I believe will communicate this message. And I've kind of given you the heart of it, but let's consider a few things about her tonight. Number one, Mary, as we have seen, she was common. She was common. Do you realize how many just common people the Lord God has used and it's recorded in Scripture? Amos was a fruit gatherer and a herdman of sheep. Uh, David was a shepherd of sheep. Moses, though he was born into royalty, abandoned it. And when God picked him and chose him, he was a shepherd on the backside of a wilderness and didn't care if he ever left, if you read Scripture. He was content to be right there with Jethro until he died you'll find that God has used common people throughout Scripture, not people of, uh, that we look at and say, wow, I can't, what an amazing person. God's used a few people like that. I believe the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was an uncommon person, very educated, uh, who's who in society. But you know what Saul did with all that when God saved him? He threw it in the garbage can, counted all but lost for Christ, gave it all up that God might use him. I'm trying to say, you know how many fishermen the Lord Jesus selected to serve with him? Well, see, we get this idea, what can I do to impress God with me so he'll use me? Nothing other than trust and obey. That's really it. And so then we find Mary was common. Let me point out a few common things about her. Number one, she lived in a common place. The Bible says in verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth. Now, let's read what Scripture has to say about Galilee. John 1, 46, in the city of Nazareth, we find Jesus is being introduced to uh, Philip. And then the Bible says in verse, or excuse me, to Nathaniel, in verse 46, And Nathaniel said unto him, speaking to Philip, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto, excuse me, unto him, Come and see. Then we look at John chapter 7, verse 52. We're looking at the general attitude toward where Mary was from when Jesus was born. John chapter 7, verse 52. Then answered, and they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. I'm trying to show you there was nothing special about where Mary was from. 
She's from Nazareth of Galilee. Not only was it a common place, it was actually a despised place. Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of there? I mean, really, honestly? Uh, Galilee? The, the Pharisees said, look, you search the scriptures, you'll never find a prophet came out of Galilee. Maybe out of Judea. Yeah, but not Galilee. And so then she lived in a common place. And you know what I'm glad for tonight? You don't have to live in Washington, D.C., or Seattle, or Boise, or you name it, for God to use you. You can be from Bonner's Ferry, and God doesn't care. He's no respecter of persons. Do you think God could raise up a revival, fiery preacher out of this church? Could any good thing come out of Bonner's Ferry? <laughs> good. And you th- bon- Idaho? I mean, I remember I was back east about four years ago. They explained to somebody. They said, where are you from? I said, from Idaho. She said, oh, is that about five hours from here? I said, plus 30 or so. Uh, a little further, she's thinking Iowa. Had no, you know how many people I've met? When you say, I'm from Idaho, oh, the potato place. I said, well, they grow potatoes in one part of our state. They grow ski slopes where I'm from, but you probably never heard of it. Here's what I'm saying. Mary was from a place that wasn't very uh, popular, a despised kind of a place, a common place. My understanding was in her day, it's where poor folk lived. Nazareth was not known for being a place you wanted to live, but that's where she lived, and that had nothing to do with God selecting her to be used. She lived in a common place. Number two, uh, she had a common name. You say, what's well, common today because everybody names their children after her? No, no, let me prove this to you. Go, if you would, uh, to just a few, a few verses. Go to Matthew chapter 27. If I say, I'm going to preach to you tonight a message on Mary, what would you say? Who am I talking about? Well, because it's December, you're going to say Mary, the mother of Jesus. But if it weren't December, you can take your pick of about six of them in the Bible. It's a common name. Matthew 27, 56 the Bible says, among which was Mary Magdalene, so verse 55 says, And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. If you look uh, on down a few verses, look at um, verse 61. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. And then 28, verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the day, first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. At the cross of Jesus Christ, there were at least three Marys. At his cross, at least three, and there's possibly more. Say, so what's your point? My point is she was not unique in the physical sense of the, of the word. She didn't stand out. She didn't have some phenomenal pedigree that everybody recognized. Oh, you know, this is Mary. No, she had a fairly common... That tells us she lived in the common world. The Bible tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ that the common people heard Him gladly. You know what? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Common people, common folks still hear the Word of God. When you learn to be so educated and so intellectual that you can't trust the simple truths of the Bible, you quit hearing God. But Mary was a common person. She lived in a common place. She had a common name. You know what? Mary just had common plans. Before the angel showed up, you know what was the next plan on Mary's agenda? According to the Bible, she's going to get married. Boy, that's, boy, that's unique. Not many people do that. Well, that's what most normal folk do. God calls some people not to get married. 
But would that be the rule or the exception? Most people get married. The Bible says she was a spouse to a man named Joseph. They were going to get married. Meaning she's just living a normal life for the Lord, but living a normal life. She's just a common person. She had a, lived in a common place. She had a common name. She had common plans. She's going to get married. And you could probably find other areas of her life that were common. Yes, she was from the tribe of Judah, but there was nothing extremely unique about her pedigree from what you would know from, from meeting her. She was not in an uncommon family as far as what you would see. She had common possessions, if not less than common. They were poverty-stricken. And so the idea tonight is from the sense of what makes people... What makes people in this world stand out to us? When they're extremely intelligent, when they're extremely wealthy, when they come from an extremely wealthy family, when they have an extremely good education, when they drive an extremely nice car, when they live in an extremely nice neighborhood, we say, wow, that person has a lot of potential. To do what? Sadly, often they don't have a lot of potential to serve God because they put trust in what they have and who they are rather than Him. But the Pope and I talked about it today. We went into kind of a nicer neighborhood today. And I said, I'll be honest with you, we had some decent visits. But I said, I kind of dreaded coming in here. Because normally when you go into places where folks obviously have a little more money or are doing fine financially, they don't need God. I mean, they do. They just don't know it. We both said, I like, I like visiting and housing projects and trailer courts and jails and prisons and hospitals and uh, preaching to children. You know why? They're all people generally know they need something. They're common, common folk. So I'm just trying to say this tonight, Mary was common. Number two, though, she was consecrated. There's no doubt when you read Luke chapter 1, Mary was a consecrated woman, meaning she was a woman whose heart belonged to God. Mary was serving the Lord. You see that reflected, first of all, and don't miss this, in her attitude. In her attitude. By the way, attitudes, you know, I don't mean to be unkind, I don't mean to be uncouth, but have you ever been near someone in line at the store who does not believe in bathing and using deodorant? Of course you have. Well, if you're like me, I don't want to be rude but I feel like they're being rude by being that way. But anyhow, no one asked me. I'm in line with them at the store. They're there and I'm here. And you know they're there because your nose tells you. And so what I do is I kind of, you know, practice social distancing. <laughs> by the way, we wouldn't need masks if everybody stopped bathing. <laughs> right? You know, I just kind of back off and say, whew. And you know what happens? Everybody around that person smells them they don't now i'm gonna tell you something tonight and i feel impressed and sense the impression to say this when you have a bad attitude by the way pride is a bad attitude envy is a bad attitude rebellion is a bad attitude. when you have it i promise you everyone smells it everyone bad attitude shows up and the person that has it often thinks it's concealed because they can guard their words and guard their statements and behave like they're supposed to in public. You know the people that have that problem of uh, smell? They don't often go around spitting on people or slapping people or throwing things, but you notice that people pick up on, whoo, something right there. <laughs> Same way when you got a spiritual bad attitude. People around you sense it, smell it. It is the spiritual sense says, whoa, something's wrong there. So sometimes we fool ourselves in thinking, I've got a heart problem, but no one knows it but God. 
Well, sometimes that's true, but not normally. (laughs) Not normally. It shows up. Mary's attitude on the converse side of that had a sweet spirit about her, and it's recorded in Scripture. And if we pay attention to what the Bible says, you can see it. Number one, Mary, and we can put these in different order if you wish, but as we go through the text, you'll see that she had a right attitude toward the truth. Toward the truth, the Bible tells her that she's going to conceive and have a child, right? And so I've written this in my notes. Faith is not naivete. It doesn't say faith does not step out on nothing. I hear people say that faith steps out on nothing. No, faith steps out on the Word of God, We're not stepping out in black, thin air. We step out in faith. We're not stepping out ignorant, not having any idea what's going on next. We step out because God says this is true. And I see that about Mary when she says this. I think we can see this in this point. Uh, The angel says, you're going to have a child. His name shall be called Jesus. And she doesn't immediately say, oh, this is wonderful. You know, she says, verse 34, how shall this be? seeing I know not a man. I don't think she's expressing unbelief. What she's saying is, I respect facts. The fact is, to have a child, you've got to know a man, and I have not. I have kept myself pure and done what God said. So there's a little problem here. The facts don't line up with what you just told me. You said, I'm going to have a child. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This tells me, it tells me something about Mary's attitude about truth. Faith does not ignore the truth. Faith always requires the truth and believes the truth when it's given. She says, this doesn't make sense. So you know what she does? She asks. It's not saying, I won't accept it. It's saying, I don't understand it. How shall this be? Sometimes we feign faith by saying we believe something we don't believe. Not Mary. When the angel told her something unbelievable, she said, I don't understand. How should this be, seeing I know not a man? There's no natural explanation for what you're telling me. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. At which point she says, and he explains, Your cousin Elizabeth, a miracle has taken place with her. She's having a baby in her old age. And then he reminds her, Listen, with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary, let me remind you of another fact. Yes, the natural fact is you can't have a child without knowing a man, but don't forget that with God, nothing shall be impossible. And she says, be unto me according to thy word. She had a right attitude toward the truth. If I'm constantly questioning and doubting what God says, then you know what? That tells me somewhere else I am believing lies. If I'm questioning what the Scripture has to say about the Lord, then there's something in my life I should have questioned that I won't. Don't miss that tonight. means... A proper attitude toward truth will always accept the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is truth. It was people pretend. I thought this the other day. There were people walking around today saying, um, they act like they're noble individuals in search of the truth. Those that are part of secular humanism today, what they say is, we believe in science. This is an amazing thing. You know what science means? The word science means knowledge. Knowledge means you have an assurance of what is true. But the scientists I meet, I met a guy here in our town. He thinks himself a very intelligent man. He's a very educated man. He commends himself for that. He's an unbelieving man, uh, got a, a, a sour, one of those sour attitudes toward God. And he explained to me that science is ever in pursuit of the truth, never finding it. I got news for you. We don't have to. And what that sounds like is, I just am an honest person. All I want is the truth. If you don't believe what that book says then you don't want the truth. 
That's just all there is to it. If you won't believe what God has written into your conscience before you ever read the book, you don't want the truth. But man likes to act today like he's noble. When men say today, I'm in pursuit of the truth, you know what they're saying? We don't have it. You know what? Darwin said, I want the truth about the origins. He lied. He had the truth about the origins and he rejected it. Some say, I just want to know the truth about salvation. If you've heard what the gospel says, you have it. There is an end to questions in our mind. Mary said, I don't understand. How shall this be? And the angel said, I'll tell you how to be. God's going to do a miracle and put a child in your womb without a man. And she says, I accept. I'm going to tell you something now. If you're going to serve God, you've got to accept the word of God because it's truth. She had a proper attitude toward the truth. And so then, number two, she had a proper attitude toward the Lord himself. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Notice her attitude toward the Lord. She feared him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9.10, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Mary had a fear of God. She said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Do you hear any ounce of animosity toward God? Not one. She says, I am my soul. Let me, let me, I'm going to use, in my mind, God is clearer. You know what magnification does? It makes things clear. Makes things clear. My study at home, it sits attached to my bedroom. It's got a window that looks out toward the fields. I have a set of binoculars there because on occasion I see critters moving through the field. And I want to know what those critters are because I have tags in my pocket and a rifle on my shelf. And if I can clearly see those critters, then I can know if they are fair game <laughs> or if they're just fun to look at. And so I grab my binoculars. Now, my binoculars don't make those animals any bigger than they are, but they do bring them into focus. I can see them clearly through magnification. I'm going to tell you what was going on in Mary's heart. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord right now because of what God has done and his dealings with me in my soul, that reasoning compartment of my being. I am seeing God clearly. He's near and close and I'm seeing him clearly. And she said, and my, uh, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Let me just say this. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. There are some people, have you ever met somebody, when you first meet them, they impress you. they got an impressive appearance, they have an impressive manner about them, uh, they're very confident, uh, you're around, you're like, I really like that person, they're really friendly. And then you get to talking to them, and you get to know them a little better, and you get to know them a little better, and then you get to know them a little better, and you think, the more I know, the less I like. You ever met somebody, your first impression was, that's a really great, that's a good person. And then you get to know them for real. And prayerfully, you didn't marry them before you got to know them for real. You know them for real and you go, the more I know, the less I like. The more I know, the less pleased I am. The more I know, the more disheartened I am with the kind of person this person is. You know, it's the exact opposite with the Lord. The more clearly you see him, the more precious he becomes. I believe that with all of my heart. The more clearly you can see God. You know what? When you're in enmity with God, God seems like a cruel monster up above. That's just the truth. He seems cruel and angry. I've heard people say, I don't like that Old Testament. God's always angry. You know, if you'll actually spend time with the Lord and read the Old Testament, you'll say, God was so merciful. 
why he didn't wipe those folks out before now, before he did? How many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years did he bear long with his people? How long did he appeal to them and send prophets to them and plead with them and beg with them and mercifully draw them and they still rebelled? I'm telling you, God wasn't angry and cruel. He was patient, merciful, and kind. But you won't know that unless you get close to him. I've met other people, on the other hand, when I first meet them, I thought, boy, they're a bit gruff, a little bit rough around the edges and maybe sometimes a little hard to talk to. And the more you know them, you go, you know what? They weren't quite what I appeared, appeared to be. The more I know, the more I realize that's a godly person. Now, I'm just trying to say this tonight. Mary had gotten the Lord in focus, and as she had him clearly focused in her mind and her soul magnified the Lord, here's what she says in verse 48. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid, meaning he's paid attention to me. I can't believe that. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty, she says, he's mighty, he hath done great things to me, hath uh, done to me great things, and holy is his name. So he's mighty, he's holy, his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. She's saying it is right and good to fear God. You'll know his mercy if you do. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to seed forever. She said, He's merciful, He's faithful, He's holy, He's powerful, He's mighty, He is just in His dealings with men. Notice her attitude toward God. It's not. Why is God like He is? Why is why is He so strict? Why is no? She says God is good. God is merciful. He's worthy to be feared and trusted. So I'm trying to say now she's consecrated. You see that in her attitude toward the truth, her attitude toward the Lord, and finally in her attitude toward herself. What does she refer to herself as? The handmaid or handmaiden of the Lord. Listen now, handmaiden in her day, as in ours, would be the lowest class of person as far as we classify folks. You think of a handmaid, basically it's like the ladies that clean motel rooms. Now, I'm not belittling them. I'm just saying that's not what most folks plan and go to college for to have a career in, right? To have someone else tell you what your schedule will be every week, to have someone tell you every day how to claim. She said, when it comes to me and the Lord, I am at his beck and call to do whatever he wants. That was her attitude toward the Lord and toward herself. As I said at the beginning of the message, she didn't say, I'm the queen of heaven. She didn't say, I'm the mother of God. She said, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. And I say this tonight. If we can't have and maintain a right attitude toward ourself, God cannot use us. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the Humble. Turn very quickly to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans 12, 1 and 2, those great verses on presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice. Romans 12 is about serving God. That's what it's all about. It's about being in His service, using the gifts we've been given by the Holy Spirit to serve Him. He says, if you want to know the will of God for service, you've got to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy except unto Him. You can't be conformed to the world. You'll never know the perfect will of God when you're constantly trying to be like lost people. When you want to be like them out there who don't believe in the Lord, who don't believe the Bible, don't trust Christ, you want your life to be like theirs, God can't use you. You may be saved, but He can't use you in His service. Verse 3, though, 
he says this, For I say, Romans 12, 3, Through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I think there's one thing that will keep us, I believe this, that will keep us humble, and that's just facts. I don't think of anything else that will humble us like just always accepting the truth. The truth is, we are people who without Jesus Christ are hopelessly lost because of our sinful nature. We are selfish by nature. We are proud by nature. So truly, if there's any good thing in me, it's because Christ is in me. Period. And that'll help us keep a right perspective. If I have an ability to serve God, if I have a teaching ability, if I have a preaching ability, if I have a giving ability, if I have an ability to extend mercy to people, if I have an ability to exhort people and motivate them to do what's right for God, where I get that? God gave it. It's a gift. That means I'm not up here you know, singing my own praises because of my gifts. What it means is I'm a steward and I have a responsibility as a servant. If I'm gifted to do something, then that should sober my mind to say, then God's going to hold me accountable for what I do with it. I'm not supposed to bury it and not use it for for the things of the Lord, but I'm also not to be high-minded and think, well, you know, everybody else around here, you might be able to give as much as I have this year. I've not been able to do what I've been able to do. Can't teach like me. No, we're gifted differently. And he, Paul says when it comes to service, I'm cautioning you not to be high-minded and to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think according to the truth, think soberly. I see that in Mary. She understood her commonness. She understood how un, how how uncommon it was that God would select her for the task she was fulfilling. You remember Moses, Exodus chapter 4, when God says, I want you to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said, I have been expecting this. God, what took you so long? I mean, I could already see my ability to do this. I can't believe you've waited so long to get me going. I don't know what's going on here. Now, Moses got in trouble because he drug his feet, by the way. God told him to go, and he starts arguing. Well, I, I, I can't speak well. God didn't say what is in your mouth. He said, what is that in your hand? Right? He didn't say, what is that in thy mouth? He said, what is that in thine hand? Moses was reluctant to go until God nearly killed his firstborn. You can read about that. God spared him, and I believe in an illustration of what he was going to do in Egypt and so forth. But the fact is, Moses was reluctant, got in trouble with the Lord, but I don't find that he said, well, of course, God would use me. Moses was the meekest man on earth outside of our Savior, meaning he was shocked. God had given him great power, great ability, great calling, but he was shocked that God would use him in that way. And with Mary, thankfully, she wasn't reluctant like Moses was, but the fact is, I think she was surprised that the Lord would select her to serve as he had. And so we find her attitude. She's consecrated. We see that in her attitude. Number two, we see in the fact that she humbly and quickly accepted the will of God for her life. It tells us back there in Luke chapter 1, verses 38. Again, verse 48, she refers to herself as the handmaiden of the Lord. But in verse 38, when the angel says, With God nothing should be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She didn't say, Now, Lord, can we, unlike Moses, she didn't say, Lord, can we talk about this? Um, what are people going to think? What about me and Joseph? No. You know what she knew? She knew the will of God. 
And once she knew the will of God, she said yes without considering. I don't, I don't mean that she didn't consider the cost, but without hesitating. She said, be it unto me according to thy word. By the way, it would cost her, wouldn't it? A sword would pierce through her own soul, would it not? As she was told. But you know what? We'll do well to never hesitate once we know God's will for our life, but to immediately implement it and say, yes, Lord, you can use me how you see fit. So we see it in her attitude. We see it in her acceptance of God's will. We see her consecration and her application of God's word. Number one, she was already obeying the truth she had been given. The Bible says she was a virgin, meaning she was keeping herself pure according to the word of God. Number two, we see when she's told about Elizabeth, it tells us back there in verse 36, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, uh, she uh, hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. In verse uh, 39, where does Mary go? And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and slew Elizabeth. Why did she go there? What made Mary think to go to her cousin Elizabeth's house? God had told her about what he'd done for Elizabeth and she believed him. My point is this. You know how you can tell when somebody believes God? They act on it. Faith without works is dead, being alone. <laughs> we know that she believed God concerning Elizabeth because she went to visit her and a number of other things will tell us she believed the Lord. You just see she's consecrated in her attitude, her acceptance of God's will, her application of God's word, when she goes down to Judah, and then her acclamation of praise to God. Now, i got a question. How far along was Mary when she's singing praises about what God had done for her? Days? Days. I mean, we're talking about... It would be She would stay with Elizabeth three months. It was the sixth month with Elizabeth. Ms. Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Mary found out she's going to have Jesus. She stays with Elizabeth three months, and obviously when Elizabeth either is ready to deliver or does, then Mary leaves and goes back home. That tells me Mary was barely along, probably had no symptoms of expecting a child yet. But she's praising God as if he's been born already. It makes me think of Hannah in 1 Samuel when she prays and pours her heart out and Eli falsely accuses her and says she's drunken. She gets up, she says, no, I'm not drunken. And she refers to herself, if I remember correctly, as a handmaiden. She says, no, no, my heart is broken. I'm paraphrasing. I want to have a child. And if God will give me one, I'll give him back. And Eli says, God's going to do it. And you know what Hannah did? She went home and rejoiced as if it was already done. You know what tells me about Mary when she can rejoice in what God had done when he hadn't done it yet? She believed God. She gives praise to God, not based on what she could see happen, but based on what He said would. I believe you and I can praise the Lord for His return now. Lord, thank you for your second coming. Well, it hadn't happened yet. No, but we know it's going to. Thank you for a home in heaven. Well, we're not there yet. Don't have to be. We can take Him at His word. Thank you for pardoning my sins. Thank you for eternal life. We don't have to see it. We know it based on His Word. And we see her praise demonstrates a consecrated heart. She believed God. It's no wonder God used this woman. What was so uncommon about Mary? Not her name, not her place, not her position in life. It was her attitude toward God. It was her attitude toward God's Word. It was her attitude toward herself. Ask yourself tonight, if that's what it takes for God to use someone... Can God use me? Do I, do I line up with that? What's my attitude toward myself? What's my attitude toward others? What's my attitude? I'm going to tell you something. Nothing will hinder any of us more than pride. Nothing. If there's anything that's stymieing Bonners Ferry Baptist Church right now, I mean not to accuse but to reprove, it's pride. 
If anything stymies us, it's our concern with what people think about us. May we get concerned with what God thinks of us. Plus nothing, minus nothing. If God's pleased, then we are doing well. If God's not pleased, we are doing poorly. Individually, as a family, as a church, as a nation, that's the measure. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what our peers think. It matters what our Savior thinks. I believe Mary was overwhelmed with joy. I don't think her community thought well of her. In fact, I know they didn't think well of her. I don't even know if her own parents thought well of her, but her Savior thought well of her. That's what happens when we get the right attitude toward the Lord and toward His Word. So then, she was common. She was consecrated. Thirdly, she was constant. Just run through a number of verses quickly and we'll wrap this up. We have a number of things about Mary through the New Testament And you're familiar, many of you are familiar with these things. But of course here in Luke 1, uh, verses 30 through 33. And I want to show you just a couple of things. I I believe Mary had a number of opportunities to get puffed up with pride. She was told repeatedly about how wonderful it was what God had done with her. She knew it in her own conscience that God had blessed her above other women. Ladies, can you imagine God saying you're more blessed than every other woman? Would that stoke your ego? Yeah, would ours too, fellas? Not her. She's not, I'm not saying she wasn't tempted. The Bible says this in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. I believe that's where I want to be. Yeah, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. This is the revelation of God. You're in favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You are going to birth through your womb the eternal son of God who will be the eternal king of your nation. What a privilege. How did that change Mary's attitude toward herself, toward God's word, toward serving? Not one bit. Not one bit. We've already pointed that out. And then we look at verse uh, Luke chapter 2, if you would. Verses 17 through 19, the shepherds are going to remind her of what a wonderful thing has taken place. Luke 2, 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So if you look back verse 16, the Bible says that the, the shepherds came, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the thing which was told them concerning the child. The shepherds are going everywhere saying, there's been a baby born to this lady, and her husband is there. Can you imagine the whole community astir because of what God has done with you? I can't help but wonder this, knowing with how, how God deals with me. You know, I think one of the probably the best things for Mary is that that child was born in a manger. If that child was born in a manger, you're not going to be tempted to think, aren't I great? You're going to wonder, really? Really? Now, I know the angel told me that who I would have would be the Son of God, but here? And then God sends the shepherds along to say, yes, here. Does not God know how to put enough adversity in our lives and difficulty and things that humble us while he's using us mightily to keep us honest. Don't We need not despise the difficult things that belittle us and humble us and make us look lowly because those are the things that keep us from being ruined in pride. Amen?
And if you're walking with God, you know what I'm talking about. You, you understand. And I believe God did this for Mary, and she kept it kept her heart true. The revelation at first was, this is wonderful. But look at Luke 2 in the end. All the revelation she gets is not good news. You're going to have the Son of God. His name should be called the Son of the Highest. He's going to reign over, uh, over Israel, and His throne, there'll be no end. All that's good news. But when we get to Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon is speaking. And Simeon blessed him and said unto his Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. I mean, not everybody's going to be for what's going on. Not everybody's going to react like the shepherds have, Mary. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary, what's going to take place with this child you've born is going to reveal where hearts are at, and it's going to pierce through your own soul. Wouldn't this be a good time to say, okay, I wanted to bring him into the world, but I'm done. If this involves a sword and death to self, I think I want to pull out about now. But not Mary. She stayed on board, continued to believe in him. Uh, If you would, look at uh, Luke chapter 2 at the end of the chapter. We move not only from her revelation. She has some revelation about who he is. He's going to be a king, but he's also going to be a sacrifice. And that's what Simeon's referring to. In Luke chapter 2, we begin to see some reproofs in her life. As the the child Jesus grew, Mary perhaps forgot some of the things that were revealed to her about him. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, the Bible says, And when they, speaking of Joseph and Mary, saw him, the twelve-year-old Jesus, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Do you understand this question from her twelve-year-old was a reproof? The only way a 12-year-old can reprove, just with a question to bring truth back to memory. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Look at Mary now. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Do you remember when the shepherds were singing the praises of her child? What did she do with those things? She kept them in her heart. Now when her child is reminding her that she's with a question, you've forgotten the truth, mother. He's not my father. That's what Jesus is saying. Wish you not that it must be about my father's business? The Bible says she kept these. She, even though she didn't understand him, you know what she did? She kept the things in her heart. Had her attitude toward truth changed in all these 12 years? Same attitude. What I'm considering now is she was not only common, not only consecrated, she's constant. When she has the revelation of God's word... She takes it and believes it. When it is a reproof to her, she takes it and she keeps it. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. John 2, 1 through 5, very quickly. And the third day there was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine, unto him they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. That's a bit of a rebuke, isn't it? He's a grown man now. He is her creator as a human. And he says, but then verse 5 says, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Do you find her not willing to get offended at him? Yeah. He says as a 12-year-old, Wished you not that it must be about my father's business? And instead of getting offended, say, You shut your little mouth and come on. No, because he handled himself right as he always did. She kept those things in her heart. And then here in John 2, he says, Woman, what have I to do with you? What are you doing, Mom? My time has not yet come. And her answer was this. I have learned, whatever he says, you do it. 
If he tells you to do it, you do it. And then he told them to do some strange things. Get those six water pots and fill them with water to the brim. They don't need water. They need wine, right? She just said, do it. My point is this. Mary continues to trust him even under the reproof of his word. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 47, won't take time to turn there, but the Bible says there was a time when Jesus is teaching the multitudes and his mother and brethren were without and they wanted to have a hearing with him. And he said, my mother and my brethren, are they that hear the word of God and keep it? And then you'll be reminded his brethren did not yet believe on him. There was a bit of a reproof and a rebuke. You are close to my unbelieving brethren, which is keeping you distant from me. I prioritize those who hear the word of my father. Repeatedly, Mary got rebuke or reproof from the word of God. But I want to tell you something. Faithfulness is not never needing reproof. It is responding to it correctly when we receive it. And that's what Mary did. She was constant. So we find... Constant under the revelation of God's word, constant under the reproof of God's word until we find she was a reliable person in the service of her king. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, the fulfillment of the prophecy in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 48 through 51, or excuse me, uh, 2, 34 and 35 comes true, and the sword would pierce through her own soul. The Bible says in John 19, 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. I'm just trying to point out, you know where she was? Her disciples, I mean his disciples, except for John, are scattered. But you know who's at his cross? There's Mary. In spite of the grief and the pain, she can you imagine, ladies, can you imagine as a mother having to stand and watch your sinless son go through what he went through? But there she was, with a sword through her soul. There she was. And then finally in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The last mention of Mary in the Bible. You know what you find her doing in Luke chapter 1? She's consecrated. You know what you find her being in Acts chapter 1? consecrated what was it about god that ever offended mary and turned her away from abiding in her son nothing great peace of they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them by the way the bible says it wasn't just mary it was mary with his brethren we often think we'll win people by compromising truth and righteousness no You know how Mary won the brethren? I don't know that she won them, but I find them there with her by being faithful and true to her son. That's how we affect and influence others, not by compromising with others, but by standing with Christ. I just want to say this tonight. I think we have a lot to learn from Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. She was common, but she was consecrated, and she was constant. How about us tonight? Has God done something that I think, man, this is what it means to serve God? What heartache that woman went through. You know what? You don't see the glory of the resurrection if you don't see the horrors of the cross. 
And at the cross, a sword went through her soul, but can you imagine what joy she had on Resurrection Day? And so I just want to ask us tonight. I'd say most of us fit the, the first phrase, the first point. We're common. But are we consecrated? We'll not be constant if we're not consecrated. 